the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, it's draft week. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track today. Get yourself ready for that draft. Download the app, personalize it with the teams and leagues you care about most, and you'll have 40% off that first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Chinetti. As I mentioned, it is NFL Draft Week. I will focus on some fun facts and figures leading up to Thursday, maybe going backwards a little bit, and uh, round out some NFL transactions that we've had. Real quick off the top, just because it's becoming more and more relevant as uh, as the postseason progresses, and God, we're still in round one here. But the NBA, it's a players-driven league, as we know, and that can be a positive, that can be a negative. But look, every 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 playoff game, Someone comes to the focus positively or negatively, and it just so happens that many of the players that Keith Smith dove into for us this, I don't know, past two months or so are really polarizing players right now. Like, for instance, every time I watch the Suns now, I try to think about how valuable DeAndre Ayton is to that team. And last night, I kept seeing constantly and hearing from this broadcast that JaVale McGee was kind of leading the way, right? He's so underrated, undervalued. And was a viable bench replacement for DeAndre Ayton. And I can't, I can't help but think that Ayton may be hitting free agency, believe it or not, or restricted free agency to some degree here. So there's a chance that uh, some notable names that Keith has broken down, maybe possibly all of them. I, I, can't, I can't see Kyrie leaving. Uh, Tyler Hill is maybe a bubble player, depending on how far Miami goes here. But Zach Levine could go. DeAndre Ayton could go. Jordan Poole is probably going to demand some serious money. And it's an early extension, as we talked about last week. But, you know, it, Golden State needs him right now. It, it, the, the big three in Golden State, they're at least, they're dinged up a little bit. They're aging a little bit. And they're not even playing their toughest competition right now. They're playing a pretty easy matchup in Denver. And they stumbled yesterday, and that's no big deal. But Jordan Poole has been vital to that team and he's going to basically sit down with his agent and say look we got to get max from this team now or we start shopping and, and i get it but this is his window of opportunity so he's at the forefront of a player to watch right now in this postseason and i realize he's the fourth guy on his team that many people are tuning in to see but from a financial set of goggles right now these players are are right at the top of this postseason and it's pretty damn interesting jalen brunson has been carrying the load for a missing Luka Doncic, who's now kind of a shell of himself sitting out there, even though Dallas is competing well. So uh, I give Keith a lot of credit. He picked lightning in a bottle. And oh, by the way, I haven't even mentioned Zion, who is sitting at the end of a bench with a team that is coming together right before his eyes, possibly taking the, the, uh, the favorites out here. You know, a couple games to go, still a long way to go, but really coming together. They've been coming together for three months now, as we've been talking about on the show. And I think we're at the pinnacle of that. We're seeing a true Brandon Ingram breakout. We're seeing CJ McCollum freed from whatever kind of uh, complacency he was in in Portland. And certainly with an expanded role now in this Pelicans team. And there's a big part of me that says a healthy Zion added to this group is going to be phenomenal. It could be really, really a big deal for this small market in New Orleans. But as Keith laid out, and we've talked about kind of at nauseum here, I don't know what the end game is, you know, because they could also take that Zion contract and find somebody who still believes in them and say, 
great. Give us your picks. Give us your players. We're going to, we're going to build without him and continue to put this thing together because we we're on track here. So I, I just think that the articles that we've got on spytrack.com right now could not be more relevant to where the league is heading over the next, not only through this postseason, but then into July when the offseason starts to kick around and some of these big time trades get here, right? I mean, the Lakers are an afterthought, truly. I mean, because I'm not sure there's going to be a team there to bail them out this year. So they're an afterthought. And, uh, you know, what happens with Portland is complicated and interesting with Dame. If he can get back to health and then does he want to be there long term? The Knicks are going to be interesting. Uh, I'd put Orlando in this conversation slightly because they have some real pieces there and now some draft capital building up. Oklahoma City is obviously in this conversation. They got a little bit better this year with finally with a couple of these guys and they've got, as you know, maximum draft capital. Uh, How does Chicago kind of get back on track? Is Levine in that conversation? Are they going to go out and try to find themselves a big fish to stick on that roster and really try to push up the East? And then Brooklyn. Brooklyn is not going away. And that's on both sides of the spectrum, right? They're, they're great when they're great. And when they're not great, they are the biggest story in basketball because Durant has been off. Kyrie has been Kyrie all year. You can say what you want from every angle. And then the Ben Simmons drama is unfortunately not going away. He's not going to be there on the court tonight to have at least a chance to redeem himself, right? Because that's what this could have been. And I know there's been some real negative <laughs> communication out there or response to him pulling back and saying, I'm not good enough to go tonight. I, I can't crush a guy for that. There's clearly a real injury here. You, you, we can separate the mental stuff and the physical stuff, I think, at this point. Um, and maybe not. Maybe this is mental and, and, and there's a bit of a cover-up here just to keep him off the court. But it's a very very daunting task to ask somebody to come back from what two years away from the game to drop into game four in an elimination game against a team that is just firing on all cylinders in Boston. I mean, they are tenacious defensively. They've got three to four legitimate scores every game. And, uh, that's, that's a, that's like asking a rookie offensive tackle to go up against Aaron Donald in this first week. (laughs) That's, that's just not something you want to be doing. You know, that's not ideal. And uh, I get that. Now, Ben Simmons is, is experienced enough to where he should be able to drop himself in any situation. But I, I think that fragile mindset is exactly why he's not in Philly anymore. So you, you, you would demand him to go into this kind of a situation immediately after leaving that, after going through that, and then I believe having some sort of physical ailment with his back. I just think it's too much to ask for a lot of players, especially the player that has been in this in the situation that Ben Simmons has been in. So I'm not going to kill the guy for missing game four here because I think it was just too much to ask. But where are we next year with Ben Simmons, who has now been paid an awful lot of money to not play basketball and put himself really behind the eight ball across the league, not just with with Brooklyn. So that. That's a fascinating team. Kyrie's on a player option. He's certainly going to opt out, in my opinion, from that and at least put them on notice contractually speaking. Does he leave? I don't know. It's probably a less than 50% chance that he leaves. I think his situation with Durant is worth sticking around for. But as a whole, that team is, is up there in terms of polarizing for the offseason. So Keith's really been all over this stuff. And uh, we'll continue to do that. He's going to go team by team and division by division here soon and kind of break into some of these thoughts that I just had with much more levity and uh, 
a lot of that's going to be what we what impacts with this postseason. You know, what happens if Dallas makes the run? What happens if New Orleans gets to round two and knocks out the number one overall seed? There's a lot hanging with that. That you can you can gain a lot of reputation these these six weeks or so of the of the NBA postseason. So it's a it's a fun time, just not just to be a fan, but also from a financial and a business standpoint, because things really gain momentum and really become clearer and clearer in focus. And uh, Keith's kind of kind of projections in these long pieces, these player contract pieces, are really starting to bear out now, either in the postseason or as teams sort of capitulate into what they may be for 2022-23. All right, let's talk NFL draft. It's here. It feels extremely minimized this year. And I say that honestly, because there's no need to blow smoke up the NFL's butt anymore. They are, they have been the king for forever. They've been gaining momentum over the past couple of seasons, even after that year where ratings were down and Kaepernick was kneeling. Everybody thought the league was going to hell. It's not. It's way back, way, way back. And the, the new media stuff and the broadcast salaries and all that, all those things wrapped together. It's just a, a compilation of what is the biggest sport, not in the world. That's still the other football, but certainly here it is the king. And uh, even in the worst situations where a, a weak draft, a quarterback, quarterback less draft, and really no true number one overall pick draft, still going to get huge ratings. It's still going to get tons of eyeballs. It's still going to drive social media and all that good stuff. And uh, look, the unknown can be sexy. It can be fun. Certainly, it has put the hot stove into a, you know, a blazing state of which I try to stay away from. It doesn't really behoove me who the number one overall pick this year. I don't, I don't really look too much forward with this kind of stuff. It's, kind of. it's just kind of my job to rein it in once it gets here, right? All right, positionally speaking, who kind of falls where from, from a contractual standpoint? I will give out that number because I do believe we have a pretty good idea now with the salary cap and things like that in place of where that first pick is going to fall. It's just over $41 million over four years, fully guaranteed. Signing bonus, just over $27 million. It's uh, it's real good coin. Your top six picks should be north of thirty million dollars this year. Your top eleven picks should be north of twenty million dollars, fully guaranteed over forty years. So, rookie wage scales going up as the cap goes up. Of course, it's a solid system for these first rounders. They get the fifth year. The team gets some leverage. We will see if the news, if the recent CBA changes how powerful that fifth year option is. Though I have seen rumors of already three or four declines from that 2018 class. So 2019 class, excuse me. And I think that will become more prevalent now that the rules have changed. And A, the money's a little different based on Pro Bowls and and playing time. And B, fully guaranteed at the sign of exercise. And that's going to scare off quite a lot of teams that have question marks on some of these players, you know? And any kind of question mark now probably is a decline. and that's good news for the player. It gets them to free agency a little bit earlier, or at least puts their contract on notice a little bit earlier. But, you know, that's going to be 12 to $25 million that they're leaving on the table right there. If you're a quarterback versus a kicker or safety, you know, obviously. So that's something to watch with these first rounders and the fifth year option. It's not as slam dunk as it was over the course of the first few years of that decade. But we're going to see that change a little bit. But contractually speaking, the first rounders should be fully guaranteed, and it ranges from forty-one million to twelve and a half million over those first thirty-two picks. Again, 
the quarterback less situation is making this difficult, but fun. If, if you're a true team builder or you're a two armchair GM, you're having a lot of fun trying to figure out where, you know, the first running back is going to fall, where four of these wide receivers may fall in the first round if and when a quarterback falls. And uh, certainly these left tackles that many of these teams need. And uh, there's, there's a real conversation about number one overall now with Jacksonville. And, and whether they're going to back up that left tackle situation right off the top and, and not worry about the edge rusher. So a lot of what ifs, and that's fun. It's not sexy. It's not marketable, right? It's We're just hoping that the surprises and some of those, those day one trades kind of carry the day, and they will. The NFL has shown that that's how that operates. There's always something behind door two. And uh, I do think there, there'll be some actual NFL players traded, whether it's in the run-up here to Thursday or on Thursday to uh to carry some of those first day picks but i i think there's names out there that still have to move i'm not sure baker's one of those names and and i want to transition into baker and a couple more players but i do think that that we'll see some of that over the next few days maybe even on thursday um as teams try to figure out what the hell they're going to do some of these teams have multiple first round picks and i'm not sure they want them financially speaking or just because like i said it's a bit of a down draft and They'd love to push back to 2023 or maybe even to the middle rounds where they feel more comfortable taking some, some chances on the lesser positions. And I think that'll be a lot of what we see depth, depth drafting this year. I mentioned Baker, the, uh, the number one overall picks, which I love to look at every single time this year, kind of assess whatever kind of runs at you at that time. Right. If you, if you just start to look through the list of number one overall picks, you know, Trevor, Trevor's Trevor. Terrible situation, obviously, with the coaching staff and all that. Everything's brand new. I'm extremely confident with Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson now. So I'm I'm just going to push that off to the side, not even discuss it. I'm giving him 2022 at least before I have any kind of conjecture with that. We know what Joe Burrow did. He's in his own world right now. Truly. I mean, I guess he's, you know who Joe Burrow is right now? Joe Burrow is Jared Goff in this conversation. Very different players, and Jared Goff is going in one direction, and Joe Burrow's going in another. There's no question about that. It's a big year for Burrow to show that he can stick at that kind of level, or at least compete, contend, and be that kind of quarterback that can truly carry a team like that. But what he's done immediately is certainly uh, phenomenal. It's outstanding. But let's go back. Kyler, Baker, Goff, Jameis, Clowney, Eric Fisher, Cam Newton, so many of these players are either a right now actual free agents or trying to get out of their current team or their team is probably moving on from them either this year or next year or they're just placeholder players it's it's kind of wild how far these how quickly some of these players have fallen i mean the collar stuff is is its own thing it's completely polarizing we have no idea where it's headed think it's contractual i really do although the more i read and the more i kind of I don't know, read the room out of Arizona, some of the people that I follow out there. It's, it sure does sound like there's some Kyler Murray personality included into this mess. Whereas, it, not that he has a character flaw, but maybe he's not, not the right type of leader right now, and that's the pullback. That's why Arizona is not just throwing the worthy money at him, that they're worried that maybe he isn't the true leader of a, the best team in football. I can kind of, that's what I'm kind of taking away. And that's a bit of a hot take, I understand, but it's a lot about money. Let's be fair here. 
Baker, Baker got his fifth year option, 18 and change. We have no idea how that's going to finish out. I, my, my gut says Seattle, and I'll get to them in a second. My gut still says Seattle because I just can't find a different spot for him. And unfortunately, I, I don't think he can stick around in Cleveland much longer. He should stick through training camp. And Cleveland should wait to see if there's an injury that popped up that would make him more valuable. But it just seems like it's going to get really ugly really fast there. So we will see. We will see. Miles Garrett's a slam dunk. Got his, got his contract. He's a great number one overall pick. Great. Maybe one of the best ones in, in the past bunch of years. Burrow's certainly up there now. Uh, Baker's trending down. Jared Goff trending down. Jameis is kind of holding. He was trending up last year. Let's be honest. He was, he was having a nice year and then the injury set in and that now he's got to recover from that thing and he's going to have another chance here to be the QB one. So he's in a holding pattern, but for all intents, he's trending down, you know, as a number one overall pick. Same with Clowney, who's now bounced around so much. He's looking for the right spot, maybe the right price still. He'll find it. I think Cleveland may be the spot again, but uh, same goes for Eric Fisher. You know, now ninth, his ninth season. Indy let him walk away. That's a starting left tackle sitting out there, and somebody's going to need that after this draft. So he will find his work. But again, his career is in limbo right now. Andrew Luck, career's over. Cam Newton, I believe, career's over. Sam Bradford, career's over. And then we get to Stafford, whose career feels like it's just starting again, <laughs> which is pretty neat. But that's kind of the, the, you know, the last 14 or 15 years or so of number one overall picks. Just a ton of uncertainty. So. The fact that we have this unknown draft ahead of us, and it could be a left tackler or an edge rusher or who God knows what, a number one here, doesn't matter. There's hits and misses everywhere, including number one, certainly at 200 and 250. So we'll see how this thing plays out. It's a, it's a fun group this year, I think, because so many teams have multiple first-round picks, and that's because we've seen so many big-time NFL trades, as we've talked about. One hand feeds the other in that regard, and that's why these things can continue to be fun all off-season long. And like I said, I believe there's veteran players about to be traded over the next 72 hours or so. I really believe that's going to happen. It's going to ramp things up even more. You may even see a serious trade-back, trade-up situation with this draft. I think a lot of teams will be looking to get the hell out, and somebody's going to want to come up for somebody specifically, whether it's a top-wide receiver, a top-left tackle, or Sauce Gardner, somebody like that. So fun. A lot of movement. I, I like that there's not a slam dunk this year. I think it makes for more uh, conjecture, for more analysis. We have to work a little bit harder this year. Those guys out there, guys and gals out there doing working so much on these drafts. And uh, I'm happy just to kind of sit back and plug and play and then talk about the numbers after the fact. Let's put it that way. A couple of draft thoughts and then we'll switch gears here. We do track, track all these draft picks especially future draft picks as they get thrown around in trades and things like that. So to sit here now and to look at where everybody kind of lands and who has what and why they are where they are, not just because they were terrible, because maybe they acquired some things. Seattle is complicated. And I know immediately after the rust trade, I got on here and I did an article on spotrate.com that basically said they have two very succinct ways they can go right now which is completely down or this way, right? The, or the other way, which is not up, but it's this slightly forward road with a ton of potholes, right? With some sharp turns, 
And I think that's the route they're taking. And part of the reason I believe that they're forced to take that is Jamal Adams, who they mortgaged a couple of drafts and now a bunch of millions of dollars for. And he's he's a nice player and he's a unique player. I just think they was the wrong player to go all in on from those kind of standpoints. And now knowing, and by the way, the time that that happened, there was already some discontent with Russell Wilson. I mean, that was early. I don't know if I should be here any much longer, kind of Russ. And he was putting pressure on that front office to fix the O-line, to bring in the right weapons, blah, blah, blah. And that was one of the moves they made. You could tell just to sort of get back to that Legion of Boom to try to quiet that noise down, to try to make sure everybody was happy and, and that there was a sense that they could get themselves back into championship mode by going backwards, not forwards, unfortunately. And it just felt like such a backwards move. And it feels like that more than ever now. And now I sit here looking at this draft board and Seattle has the number nine pick because they traded their quarterback because Russ is gone. But Seattle doesn't have 10 because they acquired Jamal Adams two years ago. <laughs> so it's, it's staring right there in front of you in the top 10 Thursday that this is a team that is going both left and right at the exact same time. And I don't think I'm sitting here advocating for them to rip the bandit off. That's probably not the right move. You've already paid Adams. You've already paid Lockett. You're, you have potentially about to move or lose DK Metcalf because of this disaster, because you're kind of spinning in this black hole right now. Um, you know, you've got yourself a decent tight end fant who I believe you'll pick up the fifth year and at least have for two years here. There's a semblance of an offensive line starting to come together, though your left tackle Dwayne Brown is still available in free agency. I have a feeling that's going to be a big part of this Thursday draft for them, and rightfully so. And there are some defensive players. They had a nice draft that last year in that regard. So there are pieces. I think enough pieces to say, let's maybe push through this year, although I would not recommend Drew Locke. And this is why I've said I believe Baker will eventually wind up here to be kind of that slightly improved player at the quarterback position that has a handle over some of these wide receivers, the, the Lockets, the Metcalfs of the world. I think he's been with players that, you know, at least look and, and, and smell and taste and feel like that to where he should be able to drop into that offense, figure it out over the summer, and at least be competent going downfield uh, like, like Seattle wants to do. Seattle wants to run the hell out of the ball. And Chris Carson's a question mark, things like that. So Baker's going to have a lot of protection in terms of the offense if he ends up in Seattle. And these nice toys to play with in Fant and Metcalf and Lockett and such. So there is a chance. Look, they're not going to be competitive in that division. And that's the other part of this, right? That where they're currently sitting is just a, a semi truck coming down the freeway. But they can hold this thing together, win a couple of games, and get themselves into 2023 when dead cap is better, the draft capital is better. Maybe Baker's good enough to where you give them a bridge extension and you see if you can go a couple years with them. If not, you're going back into that draft pool. That's fine. That's great. But then you're a middling team. So I think the, the business side of me, and I said this months ago, and a lot of smart people have continued to say this, is shouldn't they just rip the bandit off? And that should have started probably with losing Pete Carroll, unfortunately, and, and moving on from him and the great career he's had there. Because I do think Pete Carroll's mindset with this roster and this construction and the way he wants to go play football games 
is defeating to the Seattle franchise right now. I think it is holding back a division that has gone completely opposite around them. And you know that's the real reason Russ wanted out, is he understood that he was a dinosaur sitting in a room of living animals. <laughs> okay? And uh, I think the fact that they didn't do that signifies they're not going backwards. They're going to try to hold the fort. So bring in Baker, draft a left tackle, sign a, a versatile swing tackle, and, and keep on going, I guess. But maybe they can surprise some people. Maybe some injuries fall their way. But it's hard not to see number nine and number 10 Thursday night and not realize, all right, they're still covering up for a mistake they made. That's where they are right now. And then Russ was a, kind of the last straw. But I don't think they're going backwards, folks. I think they're going to try to hold the fort. Speaking of, Carolina. Carolina doesn't have pick number 38 Friday because they have Sam Darnold. They don't want Sam Darnold. They are trying desperately to move on from Sam Darnold. I don't believe Baker's an upgrade to that. And they'll, I'm sure they've already figured that out. Um, and they don't have pick 70 because of C.J. Henderson from New Orleans not too long before that. So Henderson, uh, he's a guy. I think he's a good depth secondary player. I don't think he's made them better. That may, may change in year two. But my guess is they would try to upgrade from him as well right now. So two top 70 picks gone by the wayside for players that haven't made an impact on your team, give or take. My thinking is they could take a quarterback at six. I think a lot of people believe they will. I think they're going to have to move back. I think they're going to have to get out of six to get themselves into the second and or third round. And, uh, and try to replenish those picks and cover up for those mistakes, unfortunately. We see this a lot. It, it's going to happen, all right? And, and, and rather than try to take it on and have pride like we see in the NBA quite a lot and not honor those mistakes, you got to suck it up and say, look, we missed on that one. And we got a chance right now to, to somewhat fix that. Yes, we're giving up a legitimate player here at number six. All right, there's a slam dunk guy sitting there that we're going to be moving out of. But in our opinion, three is better than one. And that's just how Carolina has to be operating. They are not one player away. I don't believe even close. So taking the three for one is the only way to go, in my opinion. So that's another cover-up for bad trades that has to happen probably Thursday night. And oh, by the way, don't be surprised if Christian McCaffrey's name is at least floated in that conversation. Because getting rid of Christian McCaffrey right now is also something that Carolina should be doing in their current state. That's just not where they are. That's not where they are. You know what I mean? If they want to do this the right way and get themselves into a quarterback with an offensive line situation that everyone else in the league is trying to get to, then paying that guy what you're paying that guy is not the right move. There's just not enough bang for buck. Put him on a roster that is ready to contend. You're going to have to eat some of that salary, in my opinion. But Putting him into a trade like this with a high number, number six pick is not a terrible way to go. You, you'll find value in this move and uh, get him on a roster that you think makes sense. Trade back to a better team, a team that literally can contend, that wants to come up to number six and get one player. They feel like they're maybe one player away and then toss in McCaffrey as kind of, to kind of sweeten that pot. That would not surprise me one iota. And I think it's actually the right move for Carolina at this point, who has done a couple of things right, but a lot of things not so right. And they're aggressive. And I think this is a way to be aggressive and try to fix some things over the last couple of weeks. 
All right, and I'll finish on this draft stuff today with just a couple more teams that I think are probably must-watch over the next four days or so, right? Thursday to Saturday. Because of where they're coming from, from this offseason, maybe where they're coming from from last season, or just they've been stuck in the mud for so long, and this is just their time to get out of it, right? I mentioned Carolina. You know where I stand on them at that point. Um, it's a big year for Green Bay, and that goes without saying, right? The decision to keep Aaron Rodgers, the decision to pay him that money. Uh, you can call it a one-year deal with a hell of a lot of outs after that, or a three-year 150, whatever you want to call it. You know, uh, A lot of that rides on what happens over the next week. And you can call that short-sighted or sur surfacy, but Aaron Rodgers has not been shy about him himself being attached to these Green Bay drafts. And more than ever now, with Devontae Adams out the door, with MVS out the door, it's about weapons. You know, yes, he's got two running backs. Yes, he got a, a tight end back that I think he has a lot of trust in and Tanya if he can get healthy. The offensive line is a question mark. They had to cut bait with two guys there. Bakhtiari has, was injured basically all last season. And uh, he's, he's more or less on a one-year contract with the potential out for his deal. There's just a lot of what-ifs. It's a huge year for Green Bay. And by the way, it's early. And I haven't, we haven't had this draft yet. But whenever Aaron Rodgers is up against the wall, or even Green Bay, things just seem to go really well for this team. So if you're putting early dollars on somebody, this is an easy one for me. Because time and time again, he has looked us in the face, told us we're stupid, and then went out and won games. So I'm just telling you, while I have them here as a huge question mark and a huge, things have to go really well for them Thursday and Friday. At the same time, I'm not going to count this guy out no matter what. Whatever, whatever decision happens with these couple of first-round picks, and whatever decisions happen in the offseason thereafter, I'm still going to put a lot of confidence in, in uh, number 12 in green. So they do have 11 picks, and they do have four of the first two days, five top 100s. It's, it's a good setup for them. It's certainly a good setup for them. So they got to hit on half of these things, and that's generally the rule with many of these teams. They got to hit on half of these. They're going to find somebody to compliment Alan Lazard. And I can't believe I'm saying that out loud, but that is exactly what I'm saying out loud. They have to find somebody to compliment Alan Lazard. And after that, the secondary needs some work. I think they need a run stuffer and probably one or two offensive linemen. That's where this team is headed. So it's a big one-year window. And I'm not looking anywhere past that. I, no matter how Rodgers is paid, you know, Aaron Jones gone, Bakhtiari gone. So many of these contracts have outs after 2022 that it, they are up against it. And like I said, I'm not going to count them out, but huge team to watch over the next couple of days. Huge, huge, huge. Not so dire, but in a similar breath, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, are uh, still one of the contenders in this league. There's no question about it. They, they lost Tyreek Hill. They're about to lose Tyron Matthew at some point in time here. Their choice. Didn't even offer him a contract. 12 picks this weekend, including eight over the first four rounds. That's uh, that's powerful stuff if they do it right, and I trust them. I do trust them. Now, they've had some clunkers, right? The Clyde Edwards-Hilaire situation set them back. That should be a player that's making a, a big-time impact on this roster and should be picking up the slack for some players right now, whether that's a running back or somebody else. It's not. So that, that needs some work. But I like the Juju pickup. I like the MVS pickup. They have some ability to restructure more contracts if they need to and go out and do some damage in free agency. 
you know, small contracts. So there's still that option, but eight picks over the first four, you know, first four rounds. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. So we'll see them Thursday. Their name will be out there quite a bit. I don't think they make both of their picks, uh, 29 and 30. They'd likely take one and get out on the other, but this is a uh, big weekend for them to get themselves back into the conversation of, we know exactly who we are. We are a system, we are a product, and we simply have to replace a couple of pieces and we'll be right back to the top of the AFC. The Saints trimmed all that cap space, I believe because they thought they were getting Deshaun Watson and then didn't get him. And I think that's where we are with them. Jameis is back. Jameis is not healthy yet. I don't think he's ready to step in and be the leader of that team yet, but he will be. And as I mentioned, that's a big, it's a bigger for him. And he can really stabilize this whole situation because they did lose some defensive pieces. I know there's a lot of people out there saying they replaced everybody that they lost in free agency. That's fine. I don't think they did. <laughs> okay. I look at one set of numbers versus another set of numbers. And I say, I think they're a little bit worse this year. I think Tampa Bay is as competitive as ever. I think Atlanta is going to be taking a step forward. And I think Carolina is still going to be Carolina. So they'll be competitive in this division as they currently stand. But the draft trade they made with Philadelphia, as early as they made it, it still baffles me. I, I don't know how anybody looks at that trade and says New Orleans did the right thing here. And they are specifically jumping over teams because they want certain players, certainly a wide receiver. I would say there's a left tackle in their future here. Uh, they did lose Taron Armstead, and they, they did not replace him, no matter what anybody tells me. There's going to be a secondary piece in here. And, you know, there's got to be a weapon because Michael Thomas is not the same Michael Thomas, no matter what you tell me. Even if he catches 100 balls out there, he's just not going to be the same player. Okay? And there's not a lot of depth behind that right now. Certainly not the tight end position, certainly not in the, in the, in the deep wide receiver role. So there's a lot of players needed here. This is not a one-player-away situation in New Orleans. So giving up a lot of picks to get higher impact first round picks. I get it, right? They want day one players at number 16 or number 19. And they're willing to forfeit, you know, 18 and 101 or whatever they gave up. And then honestly, a first next year and a second in two years. So they're willing to forfeit and mortgage some of their future to get starters this week. So obviously it's extremely important that number 16 or number 19 hit. And maybe 16 hits and they decide let's trade out back out of 19 and get back some of our capital. I'm rooting for that. But I think knowing what I know about New Orleans, who, who kind of operates in their own element and literally in their own orbit sometimes, that they're going to make two picks and they have to be damn good picks. And if they are, they'll be right back in the conversation because they are good at this. They're very good, extremely sound from a financial and business standpoint, even though they live by the seat of their pants with the restructure process. But they know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they're doing. It is a new coaching staff to some degree, but I think it's going to be a lot of the same. Very, very important Thursday for them. One of, the, one of the teams that you have to be glued to for a lot, a lot of reasons. And then the Jets. I put the Giants here, but I, I know what that new Giants regime looks like in Joe Shane and Brian Dable and that Buffalo Bills crew. They're going to slow play this thing. There's going to be no rush to put a contender in place this year. This year's about purge. This year's about value. 
This year is about getting together offensive line, defensive line, maybe keeping some secondary pieces. I, Tony is as good as gone, in my opinion. All right. That is Sammy Watkins leaving Buffalo version 2.0. All right. It's happening. It's happening. Anybody who doesn't want to be a part of this process or, or, or offers no bang for buck value right now, you're out the door. To me, that's why Bradbury is staying. I think he is the right player in the right mindset. He's overpaid. He knows it. The contract is ugly. There's going to be value for him. We talked about him last week. He's a, he's a holding pattern player. But to me, the Giants are not in all-in mode right now with this draft, even though they've got a really nice set of draft capital. It's going to be a slow play process. I expect tradebacks out of, new, out of the Giants. I expect a couple of really boring, smart picks out of the Giants this year to platform themselves to get through a big dead cap year and get ready for 2023 when it's a better draft, a good free agency, they'll have cap space to use, and they'll have a better financial situation ready to pounce in the NFC, NFC East. So it's a good year for the Giants, but I think it's going to be a smart and boring year for them. I don't think that's the case with the Jets. And that's my final team. I believe the Jets are going to be aggressive. And I don't just say that with four top 50 picks. I don't just say that because they have possibly the best draft capital and value in all in the entire NFL right now. It's a big draft pool, by the way, too. They're going to make picks. Okay, they're going to make picks. And not only are they going to make their picks, they're going to make some trades here. I don't believe that this is a, that this is a team that just wants to continue to build the draft and, and, and some mediocre free agents who that's all they can get right now because of the reputation they have. They are in that, in that boat right now where this coaching staff, this front office has to, has to take a major step, has to. And now the Bills have done it. Miami just forced themselves into it this offseason with a lot of kind of ridiculousness. New England's ab- above them, clearly, because of the Mac Jones situation and the Belichick situation. But there's, there's a chance that a really good next month or so for the New York Jets can, can launch them ahead of the Patriots, in my opinion. And they know it. And they need to at least do that. They need to at least gain some reputation in 2022 so that free agents consider them, so that they are a trade destination, so that from a draft perspective, things start to glue together and there's an actual core in place. So I expect a mix of aggressive drafting and veteran NFL player trade acquiring. Whether it's one of these wide receivers to kind of complement the Tyree Kill move in Miami, right? Is it McLaurin? Is it Brown? Some of these guys, and I mentioned Metcalf, if Metcalf wants to get out of that black hole in Seattle, this is a destin- This is a major destination in the New York Jets because he's the immediate number one here. There's some depth around him. There's some experience around him. And that gives Zach Wilson a legitimate chance now, a real chance. So uh, this is the team I think that could be the most fun to watch. And that's good for football. You know, the Jets are kind of like the budding joke a lot of times, especially come draft day. But I think they're in a really good spot here with a lot of angles, with a lot of availability to them. And I think they have a, a really aggressive GM who knows he's on the clock. And that's fun. That's fun for the NFL. So I'll, I'll finish with them. I'm excited for the Jets. They know that the vision around them is markedly better. And they know that they don't have the worst roster in football right now. So that's generally a recipe for, let's add a few really fun, spicy ingredients and see if this thing will pop, kind of like the Bengals did. All right. That's your 2022 NFL draft preview, per se. I'll be back with some baseball soon because that's uh, finding its way. My Mets are knock on wood watchable. I'll say that. I'm not going to give them too much credit. 
but I would definitely bet them in the NL East. Air quotes. And uh, look, the good players are playing well. Mike Trout has the best OPS in baseball. Shohei Otani's playing well. Aaron Judge is playing well. Many of the Mets are playing well. The Dodgers are playing well. I don't know what else you could ask for here. It's a, it's a nice start to the season. We do have some injuries. I'm, I'm starting to monitor that. From an analytical standpoint, I think there's going to be some concern down the stretch here. I don't know if we can figure this thing out yet, but certainly it's a league about depth right now. And then, like, like I mentioned, the NBA postseason has been great. It could get a lot more fun if teams like Phoenix bow out here. And uh, the NHL, believe it or not, about a week away from the postseason with the NHL. And I've got some free agency stuff coming on that as well. That does it for me. We'll see you Wednesday on the Spot Trade Podcast.